Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm very excited because I got an email right now, just before starting this, asking me if I want to collaborate with some brands. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I've arrived, bitches. Um, and I deleted the email. You know, it's not that I don't want to endorse brands because I don't want to uh, seem like that guy who's beyond that. And I'm like, yeah, I can't be tempted and have any kind of person pulling my strings say hey and i think it's good right i mean it's good if you um, are given the opportunity and the platform is recognized and this podcast is recognized as an avenue but i feel it's a very it's a very fine line because the moment you cross that i mean and i've been offered i think i was offered a free uh, logitech mic or a mouse or something grand like that and they said oh if you give this we give and i don't know man you know the whole advertising uh, influencer space. I'm not, I don't know if I'm an influencer, but I'm just very cautious when it comes to taking these uh, emails or these offers seriously because it just seems like there is a spectrum, right? Like you get the mouse or you might even get to um, endorse massive deals. But I, I did a little stint in advertising and I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm someone because it's almost like you do it mindlessly sometimes it's taken like today it's a logitech mic tomorrow it's a you know a car tire tomorrow it's a mattress and i've done the ad ad uh, announcements when i was in radio and it just feels meaningless because i didn't care i mean i was getting a salary and it was like oh whatever right it's part of the job and hated it like i was doing everything from healthify me to peps mattresses and after a point, I'm like, shit, I, I don't use any of these things. So why the fuck am I talking about it? But then it was like the producer or the program person is like, you have to fucking do it, whether you like it or not. And that's why on this platform, I don't have to do it because someone tells me to do it. And I want to be uh, sensible if I do take up endorsements. It has to be really good money because, hey, come on, no one's oblivious to that. And I would love for this platform to have uh, brands that, you know, I use or something that I like and that way I can tell you guys, hey, you know what? I like using this. But, but the thing is that what I like using, I don't want to force down your throats because you might hate it. You might think, oh, why the fuck is this guy talking about continuous glucose monitors when I I don't even care about it, right? But that's the, that's the weird part because just because you like listening to this podcast or you might stumble upon this podcast, suddenly you hear me going on about greens or going about super greens or going about proteins or going about a certain clothing brand or shoes that I wear. And I find that a little weird. Like, just because you subscribe to this podcast or certain ideas I talk about or you might like the conversations or the guests I host doesn't mean that you have to align with things that I, I eventually or might might never, the things that I'm selling because it might just be... Um, this. But, but at the same time, like, you know, when I'm listening to some other podcasts, like say I was listening to Andrew Huberman the other day and, you know, obviously he's got a lot of endorsement and he was talking about sunglasses and I clicked on the sunglass brand that he was talking about and it was interesting. I didn't buy it. So that I think sometimes makes sense. But for the most part, um, what I do sometimes is go to the books these guys talk about on the podcast and that's interesting for me. But uh, just because I'm getting money to sell something to you doesn't mean that you have to like it. So I want to get to that place where if I do do it, it's for two reasons. One, as I said, money has to be good. That way I can be like, you know what? I love podcasting and I'm getting paid for it. Fucking brilliant. And second is if the brand is something that is uh, enjoyable, uh, at least enjoyable for me, because that way I don't feel like shit talking about it to you. And if you 
align with that and you end up liking it or even going and checking it out and maybe even buying it, then that's a bonus for you and it's a bonus for the brand. But if I don't get paid for it and if I don't enjoy talking about it, then there's an absolute no-no. Because this guy or this gal who wrote to me is like, oh, we have big brands like Amazon and we have all... And I'm like... I do shop on Amazon and I have no issues with Amazon. We can't be like, oh, they're, they're demons. And maybe, you know, maybe there are activists who talk about how Amazon doesn't take care of their employees. And maybe there is a truth to that. I don't know enough. But at the same time, I'm not going to sell you some shitty basics Amazon brand on this podcast. Because you know what? Where do we do it in style over here, man. So if we do sell you shirts, guys, it's going to be classy shirts. Going to be. I might, I'd rather sell my, my wife's um, online platform. Not myself, my wife. <laughs> that would be a bit much. And uh, wouldn't get big. Eh, anyway, I'm not going to go down that because if I go down that path and she hears it, I'm going to get fucked. But I'd rather, I'd rather talk about stuff that, you know, I really uh, enjoy using. I really um, think that it's quality and it might even make your experience using it better and you might enjoy it. And if that's the case, then, hey, you know what? We're all happy. But just for the sake of money uh, and it's a really shitty brand, I hope, I really hope that I don't. Uh, cross that line and end up doing it i've held off so far because the offers have just been fucking flooding my inbox <laughs> because you know you you hear about people putting all sorts of weird ideas into advertising right um like you know putting it uh on uh this i mean of course the common ones are billboards sides of buses then you have your obviously the social media platforms on games and then you have all sorts of weird uh, uh, ad campaigns where they appear in random places they they put put it on animals you have certain kind of branding appearing everywhere and i don't know like you know I, I, as you guys know i watch i, I like watching golf and I, that's something you know like when i watch a golfer i really like and he's wearing um say nike or he's wearing titleist and he's playing with a certain club now that is interesting to me as a person who plays golf but I don't get it when, you know, these, these cricket players or whoever have like 40 brands on their, on their clothes. Uh, you have everything from like, you know, Micromax to, 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 to Bharat Petroleum to, I, don't, I mean, I get it. You guys are walking banners and you guys are walking billboards. But do you feel there's a responsibility when you're endorsing a thing? Because I feel there is a little bit, right? Like when you see someone like Shah Rukh Khan putting his name and his mouth to everything, uh, one is how believable is he as a brand ambassador or it doesn't even fucking matter because, you know, it's just him lending his name to it, getting shit loads of money. He's done his work, but he's from everything from Baiju's to Hyundai to think. But will he ever drive a Hyundai personally? Will he ever put his kids in Baiju's uh, programs? I don't know. Uh, so that's something which I've been thinking about when it comes to ads, lending my name to an ad because, you know, what, seven, eight years back, maybe longer, um, I did do an ad for Mintra. And it was because the money was good and a friend was shooting the ad and I had to play this character like the equivalent of the Mac PC kind of campaign. I had to play the PC because Mintra was moving from PC to app. And my friend Sanjay Banaktala, who's uh, at that point, uh, we were doing comedy together. He was playing the app and I was playing the uh, PC, the web browser. And yeah, very original. But it was fun. It was just a bunch of friends fooling around and it, you know, paid a little bit. But... I don't know now what my stance on that is because um, there are so many opportunities, especially if you're popular on the platforms. 
and today you're doing food tomorrow you're doing fast food tomorrow you're doing gourmet and as you guys listening or you guys viewing or consuming these ads yeah um how much of it is entertainment but how much of it is something that you believe and you say you know what i align with that i think that because that guy's face and name and his belief doesn't even go that far i don't get it um because yeah i i really don't understand uh, what a uh, game is being played and how much it matters to believe in it how much it matters to be quote unquote authentic about the messaging but uh, so far i've held off and like 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 for instance even though many of you might not play golf but if say titleist comes to sponsor this podcast i might think twice because i'm like you know what this is not a golf podcast many of you don't play golf what's the fucking point just because you guys are paying me but if they say you know what we want to uh, sponsor i mean this is just a far fetched idea if we want to sort of sponsor you as a visually impaired golfer now something uh, like that would be interesting because i'm like you know what it'll help uh, get traction for blind golf in india and get other people who are visually impaired parents of kids who are vis- uh, pa- not parents of visually impaired parents of kids who are visually impaired get them interested get this on the map and also get more resources pooled in so we can get this ball rolling or get the initiative more attention and get people uh, interested in the game and also put some young golfers on the map uh so that is something which i feel is interesting right because if you are aligned with that you're, you're a sports person who endorses a sports brand it's fine but yeah these guys these cricketers like you know you have dhoni and you have all these other guys in every aspect of advertising i don't know how yeah it one aspect like, fuck it they're paying you do it i get it very very cool very very important you make your money and you you fuck off because you have a short shelf life in, as a sports person but i, I think not being not at the risk of sounding arrogant actually no i'm going to sound arrogant when i say this but i want cool brands dude i mean i don't know mean i don't know what i mean by cool i, I don't even mean like the uh, omegas and the rolexes and whatever those fancy watches and you know getting like you you uh you know ferragamo shoes I, i there are so many cool people like i bought this watch and i found out about it through a friend it's called the bradley timepiece uh and it was made by a guy for his visually impaired blind friend and the watch is entirely tactile now it's not marketed as a high end luxury good but it's really cool and just like that uh there are people making cool things out of cool uh materials there are cool t-shirt companies there are cool so it's not just about you know luxury it's not just about status but i think there needs to be an element of coolness which of course this podcast represents <laughs> now i'm not tooting my own horn am i because i was thinking you know they they use weird things nowadays right i think like i was just reading this morning that the russians have kind of trained a whale uh to go and spy on the uh, scandinavian coast like on these countries like they found this beluga whale uh, going around with a harness and it was just chilling and apparently the reason why it made it in the news is because today or yesterday it just sped away uh, from its regular pattern and they are speculating that it's lonely it's looking for its mates it's maybe hormonally going through some changes looking for its flock or whatever it's called is it a shoal for whales or is it just a group of whales or is it a i don't know is it a bunch of whales or is it uh who knows uh, and yeah i just thought like fuck what are we using one side you have drones uh, and high tech and ai assisted kind of warfare and next thing you're going back to training away like free willy hey come here you know that guy over there you know mr anderson i want you to go check where he's banging someone else and that's 
complete ends of the spectrum, right? Just like my ad dilemma. You have things like really shitty brands which kind of fall apart and the next thing you have really sort of old standing the test of time kind of products and so i'm this i'm facing the dilemma like the whale i don't know do i continue with my job spying i'm not a spy but continue with my there's absolutely no relationship with this analogy right i'm just talking out of my ass but like see for instance a tattoo parlor I would probably endorse a tattoo parlor who does good tattoos or I would give a shout out, fuck them paying me. And I feel to some extent, I think there needs to be recognition for good work and quality work and people who spend time and don't just jump on the bandwagon. Be, oh, cool. Everyone's doing tattoos. I'm going to tattoo. Everyone's, everyone's getting on, uh, you know, on this, on this biohacking, on life hacking, whatever it is, I'm going to do it as well. There are people who've gone for years without a social media account who are still doing great work, who go through word of mouth. And I respect those people. And I think they've done their work. They've gotten into a place where they're really good at what they do. And I think they need recognition, whether it's an author, whether it's a comedian, whether it's a show whether it's an artist whether it's a tattoo artist whether it's a musician i know it's very rare that you never find them online now because everyone's got a footprint but there are some people interestingly like i discovered at the fringe uh, when i went in 2017 there are some people you've never heard of but they've been doing it for 20 years and maybe they just didn't want to get into the game of promoting themselves picking up uh, being picked up by a manager getting famous but they just love telling jokes yeah they live like bums like seven people to a room and they smell but their jokes are fucking hilarious so just like that it's a balance right how much do you want to sell yourself to the machine and how much do you want to stay away from that how much do you want to stick to what you like doing because you just enjoy it and how much do you kind of want to compromise that for the mass appeal for the big game for getting the world tours getting the big deals with the record labels or with the platforms so all this is going on in my mind and uh yeah i'm sitting at home in my track pants going yeah, big ideas, big thoughts, big problems, but I can keep it simple. And I love sharing all these ideas with you. And I hope uh, I don't bore you with them. But this is what I do. And this is what I love doing this podcast for sharing my ideas, sharing my problems, sharing my confusion, sharing my frustration, sharing my vision and sharing my thoughts for the future. But before I go on and bore you further, I'm going to stop. Because I've got a fantastic guest on today's episode, Dr. Laurie Batito. She's a clinical psychologist who's focused on sexual wellness as hey, as hey, as hey, not as hey. But that's been her area of study for the past 30 years. She's helped couples. She's helped relationships. She's helped people about the age of 50. She's helped youngsters. She's a director on the Pornhub Wellness um, uh, Initiative. She is... Um, does her own podcast she's been on television programs and on today's episode i wanted to ask her a few things surrounding the idea of sex the conversation that we well would like to have but we all kind of giggle and run away from right and i'm not talking about basic sex education that's of course important but things that we got to understand that each of us have our sexual preferences and none of it should be demonized you know there's this idea of shaming someone oh you have a fetish you freak or like you watch porn you're an addict or and it, it's anyone right within couples like if your partner finds out that you have you know who knows like an anal preference and they're like yuck you're gross you're disgusting that kind of sticks with you and makes you feel abnormal it makes you feel like something's wrong with you to have these thoughts these these fantasies these preferences and None of it is good or none of it is bad. None of it is demon should be demonized because everyone is unique, just like how 
you know, you might like a certain brand, I might like a certain brand, I like certain foods, you might like a certain food, you do, you drink, I don't drink, or I drink, you drink. Just like that, sex is so diverse, sex is so personal, and sex is something that everyone should enjoy, uh, and not just sort of be put under a uniform umbrella saying, this is acceptable norms when it comes to sex. These are things that are preferences that we all can look at and say, this is fine, this is not fine. Some people like swinging, some couples like open relationships, but all of it is a personal choice, and it's something that shouldn't be shamed and shunned and Dr. Laurie uh, explains through her vast knowledge through her vast years of experience what she has discovered and what can possibly even help you and me and um, make decisions and understand about yourself so it's a lovely conversation it's an important conversation in a day like today where a lot of people are feeling isolated for the way they feel and for the things they like and the things they enjoy and they don't share it because they don't want to be ostracized by their partners or by their friends or by their community or by their families. So I hope you enjoy it because I had a lovely time talking to Dr. Laurie Batito. And Dr. Laurie, if you're listening, thank you for joining me. And to all of you listening, I appreciate it as always for you tuning in every week. Till next time, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Dr. Laurie Batito, welcome to the Soapy Rao Show. It's a pleasure having you here today. It's a pleasure being with you. You know, it's such a lovely conversation that I'm looking forward to because you're someone from public radio. You're from someone in the broadcasting space now who's in podcasting, talking about something so essential in a day uh, and in, in, in a time of the internet and uh, information and dissemination of information, uh, especially in the space which you've focused on in the past 30 years, which is sexual health and sexuality and topics around that. Um, and we were just talking before we started recording about chat GPT and AI and how these things are f- featuring in our lives nowadays. So maybe just to start with, uh, from when you got into the field of uh, sexual health and sexuality and, 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 and sexual practices, etc. I don't know the exact terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, so from then to today, just like how life and society has changed with the, the information age and the digital age, how has the conversation around sex and sexuality ch- um, changed in your years of working with it? That's a good question because I have been around since before the internet, right? So mm-hmm. I started working before a lot of accessibility uh, th- th- where, you know, information was just not easily accessible. So mm-hmm. what I noticed is that one of the biggest changes is that when I first started as a clinical psychologist and a therapist and sex therapy and all of that is the kinds of problems that would end up in my office. And oftentimes I would see things where people would come in because they weren't sure if what they were experiencing was normal or they had a certain fetish or interest that they, they, they just never met anybody like themselves and they didn't know. And it was very confusing. Fast forward 30 years, I barely see any of those because now they just have to ask the computer if they're normal. You know, and when they it's like, oh, I have an interest in uh, feet like I love feet. And then they find a whole community of of foot fetishists. So they no longer feel alone. They now feel like they're connected to a community. They no longer feel like this is not normal, so to speak. So it has changed because of access to um, to communities of like minded people. 
right? A lot of things that back then were uh, were seen as maybe disordered or, um, uh, you know, we used to use the word perversions. We used to mm. use the language has changed too. Abnormal, but, yeah. Right. Well, not, we never use the word abnormal, but some things were, um, on the fringes, let's say, mm. are now, have now become mainstream. So if we think of BDSM practices, if we think of different kinds of fetishes, it's gone mainstream and whether, I don't think it's just the pornography industry that has done that, but it's everything else out there. It's exposure of all of these things. It's looking at, um, you know, communities and apps and dating places for like-minded people. So people are finding their people. Mm. Uh, and it has changed very much the way we, uh, we approach it or the way we see, uh, disorder. So, um, uh, something else that has changed is that nothing is disordered. I mean, unless, of course, it's illegal and harms other people and is non-consensual and there's, you know, some basics ar- around that. But if you're not distressed by it, why is it a disorder? So if mm. I have a foot fetish, and I can, and I'm, and it doesn't affect my life in a very negative way. Why is it a problem? Right. I'm not distressed by it. I just learned to incorporate it in my sexuality. Then, um, so that word distress is really important. So now I see people who are distressed by whatever it is rather than just simply, I have this. Does this make me abnormal? So the thing is, it's a very essential part of being human, right? Having sexual thoughts and expressing your sexual needs. And as you said, each person has preferences. Each person has certain inhibitions. But now I I live in India and India has always been seen as a conservative society, at least. The hypocrisy uh, is quite crazy. The biggest population and people joke about that, right? I mean, someone's doing right. it, right? <laughs> Somebody's uh, doing it. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I get a lot of questions from India, though. I, I yeah. have had over the years, many, many people reach out uh, from India uh, yeah. with a lot of ca- questions and oftentimes very basic uh, sexual health information questions because of, a you know, maybe a lack of sex education. And also lack of uh, acknowledging that it's a natural, uh, natural, uh, the, na- the natural order of things, right? That people do mm-hmm. have, it. and it's seen that oh, you know, you should do it, but don't talk about it. It's abnormal. It's it's kind of taboo. Uh, but at the same time, there is this sort of expansion when it comes to uh, people moving away from the traditional family. They're moving away from from home to work, and especially like say people in their twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, combine that with exposure, online exposure, with uh, being on uh, kind of almost like a freedom which was not there. Uh, there is a lot of things which are new to Indian society. And I mean, maybe not new as in brand new, but it's possibly been there uh, sort of under, you know, in the with, in the woodwork. But it's coming out now like with, with a lot more uh, movements for uh, gender, for, for sexuality. But even... Other things, you know, like people having, um, I don't know if that's the te- technical term, but, you know, people have extramarital affairs, people, uh, infidelity. Or open marriages or, open yes, marriages, the, the definition for, of yeah. marriages have changed. The definition Absolutely. of relationships Absolutely. have changed. And I think, yes, people are, it's not that these things didn't exist. It's that people are talking about it 
a whole lot more and actually seeing that there's not just one way anymore. There's many mm-hmm. ways to express your sexuality. And what's right. important in all of that is that whatever you do, it's done in a consensual manner with people that agree with that you have the same values as them and that you make an agreement, which is very different than infidelity. Let's say where it goes behind somebody's back, where you're doing something in secret, we're seeing much more a movement towards a a conversation where I don't want to, I don't want to cheat. I want to have a conversation where we decide together that variety is okay, you know, or that Mm -hmm. we both agree on this. Like, I think there's, we have a ways to go before we get to, you know, fully open kind yeah. of society in that way, which I'm not advocating for because there's some, it's just that for some people it works and for other people it doesn't work. And, and that's okay. Yeah. We have to be respectful of that. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's, that's absolutely great that it's at least, it's, it's almost like breaking out of the mold and India, uh, like many other countries in South Asia or maybe Southeast Asia, there was a very dominant role that the male played, right? That the men could do, uh, what they wanted. They can have a conventional family, but do whatever they want on the side. But the woman had right. to stick to the role of mother, wife and be faithful, et cetera, which is now changing. Uh, a lot of women led empowerment when it comes to it, my body, my choice or, my life, mm-hmm. my choice. But uh, there's no but in a negative way. But uh, so what is happening is when th- these conversations, these changes are being led uh, by a lot of women who say, you know what, if I want to have an open marriage. If I want. So what does that do when um, the, 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 the women in society are becoming more free, more uh, empowered with the choices they make with their body and the men feel repressed and they feel like they are left out of the conversation? Is Is there... Um, I mean, both sides of the conversation, but what happens um, to a society when the roles, if you want to call it, or the, the there's a shift in power when it comes to the conversation around sex being right. led by one group? Well, I, I'm not sure it's led by one group, but what we're mo- seeing is a move towards true equality. Mm-hmm. So if it's not, you know, women are cheating at the same rate as men are cheating now. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, obviously infidelity is not a great thing. It's not great for, for marriage. It's not great for relationships. Yeah. But what we're seeing is that empowerment that if you can do it, I can do it too. It's not, uh, uh, you have as many women in the workforce as you do men. I mean, why has this changed? It's we got women out of the house. Yeah. Women yeah. are, have a different role. They're not just moms and, and housewives and catering to men. So yes, there's maybe a backlash of men saying, wait a second, like this doesn't work for me. Of course it doesn't work for you because life was, (laughs) you know, it's like you had it good before, but it did, it wasn't fair either. Yeah. So we're, we're going to see a shift. And I think that the women's movement has gone faster than the men could catch up to it. Mm. So this is where men are feeling left behind, but they just have to run faster. <laughs> you you yeah. have to catch up, you know, because, because, you because it's not happening. Now. We're not slowing it down. Correct. Because you kind of see this thing now where there's a resurgence where, you know, there are these groups. Uh, uh, I keep forgetting the name, like in, in the UK, they have this group, which is um, 
where a lot of men who are feeling boys are fe- for feeling disenfranchised are incels. going incels you're talking incels. about incels exactly. yeah. oh jeez yes and you know they had these groups and Andrew Tate name keeps coming up in these conversations where it's misogyny and i don't know if it's true i don't know the guy i don't really follow his stuff but when boys are saying the reason i'm unhappy is because of women and so are these knee jerk reactions to kind of have this regressive uh, or this call to kind of say hey let's slow it down or is it kind of this thing going i can't handle it so i need someone who will support me what what is happening as a result of this uh, and are these and what do these groups create well i think it's da- very very dangerous i do think it's highly misogynistic i think it's it's these are are men who think women should cater to them and mm. unfortunately if we're just looking at in a in a heteronormative uh, if we're, i mean we're speaking a heteronormative language here but it's like it's this notion that, that women provide the sex for the men right yeah. instead of women participating or taking what they want as well mm. and so if the women are the holders of sex in in essence if they're the in control of because they're in control of their bodies and if the men want the sex they have to they can't just take what they want i think there's a frustration on these these particular guys and anger that women hold some level of power that they don't have right and i yeah. think it's a it's a power dynamic it's a it's this anger that you you as in all you women are depriving me mm. of you know but really if you were a nice guy and you were a, 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 a giving and 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 kind and a respectful human being why would this ha- you know why would this happen you're just angry because you're an angry male who's not getting not getting sex you know getting from women when you should you should be thinking about it differently it's more about sharing and sharing connection with somebody and sharing intimacy with someone it's not just a provision of of a service so you know women don't want to be looked at that way and and when we talk about female sexual empowerment it's about i make choices for me that suit me and my pleasure matters too right it's not like i have to give sex i'm married therefore i owe sex to my husband or i owe sex to uh, a, a partner it's about sharing and it's about changing the way we look at sexuality as one part of that connection and intimacy and what have you not that sex just for sex isn't something uh, you know some people just want to have the physical side of it and and that could work as long as two people are, are on the same page again yeah so i think that we just you know those conversations are are changing and more and more women are feeling more sexually empowered without the shame that comes with it. So a man can have many sexual partners and be considered, Oh, go dude, you know, great, great stuff. And a woman does the same. And we call, we slut shame her. We're still in that, you know, we're still, still, yeah. yeah. So we still have to move away from that saying well what what's the difference if i if i want to have multiple sex partners just like you why am i bad why why did why does society look at me differently than they look at you and you know that's the interesting thing because for many years men controlled a lot of the outlets where 
um, you know, you would have sexual content, right? Whether it was the magazines like Playboy or Hustler mm-hmm. or the websites, the porn sites controlled by male producers or male talent agents or, uh, and then of course the, the extreme side of that being human sex trafficking, which is of course still a very, very horribly, uh, Horrible. present, um, issue. Um, but now, as you said, there's a lot of recall of power and women are saying, you know, screw this. We're not going to take, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to take orders from men. We're not going to pose and, and be exploited by these male-led companies. But as a result of social media, you have a lot of the power being decentralized, a lot of power being given to the individual. And as a result, then, so I read somewhere, it could be completely off, but during the lockdown, one of the, one of the quickest things that grows in popularity, which helped women make money was something called OnlyFans. OnlyFans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does that say? Um, now, again, is it a thing that my body, my choice, or does it speak to a deeper social issue uh, when someone's given a choice and has empowered themselves, they decide to go down the route of, I wouldn't say, I don't know what the right word, displaying their bodies for money or making their bodies available for people who are willing to pay. So what does that say on a more social level? Because as a, you know, as a clinical psychologist, you obviously do understand this beyond just the the social trends and the social thing. So what can you speak about that, please? I I can speak to, I I, listen, I've spoken to many uh, sex workers, performers, only fan people, people who've had sites on there and the women I've spoken to have done it out of uh, the joy of doing it. Like it's something that, okay, some true, some people do the work out of a necessity for money and, and what have you. And for sure what happened to the sex industry during lockdowns is it suffered quite a bit. So this was a a way to um, make money for, for people who could not either perform or do sex work in real time in real life. So this this happened. But then, you know, I've also met plenty of other people who feel empowered doing it, who are proud of their bodies, who are who feel safe doing it, who, yes, probably, you know, obviously has some exhibitionistic traits, you know, uh, that (laughs) which is fine. Uh, Again, their choice, their control. So this is something that they have chosen to do because they want to do it. If you look at the if you look at the porn industry, more, so much more is being produced by women uh, uh, producers, right? Yeah. So so much of it. Why? There's a need, they recognize the needs of women. For, it, the, the porn industry used to be dominated by male viewers. It yeah. isn't anymore, right? So now we have at least 40% of all viewers are female. Mm. So we're we're evening the playing field in that way. But women also understand, I mean, who are they catering to when they're doing their OnlyFans pages and showing themselves naked? They know they're catering to men yeah. generally. So they're also using what works for them to, I suppose, make money. I mean, I don't know what it says about our society, except that this has never, this has been around forever in one form or another. So you know what I, it is? I don't, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I'm totally, I'm sorry for interrupting because I totally get what you're saying because it is, you know, end of the day, Hey, you know, this is my product. <laughs> I'm going to sell it. Right. But uh, what I'm just 
asking generally is that you know these things move with with time right because you know you have sometimes say a social media influencer who's like got a hundred thousand fans and they put on their on their bio or their description that you know who loves life traveler and philosopher loves spirituality and the and top 10 picks up with cleavage right so i have no issue with it but my point is um it's it's hilarious, right? You read this quote by Nietzsche or someone, and suddenly you have them right, in a bikini, that, and then like, you just Whoa. see boobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. uh, what does that say about um, you know? Because one side you're trying to you you kind of kind of say profound expression of human um, you know existential being, and the next thing you're like the most basic um, the most basic human need, which is you know uh, so both being juxtaposed, but. It's also like, you know, the person who's who's pretty today in our society where, you know, you say someone who's growing old is not pretty and you have this particular shelf life, for lack of a better word. So what does that yeah. do? To, because this is at the end of the day, massaging your ego, right? Getting men commenting, saying you're so hot or you're so pretty. You're getting people to pay money for your for your 30 minute show. And right. So psychologically, you're getting that that dopamine hit, right? Like just like how you get likes. So you get that kind of your right, ego right. boost. So when that goes and you've relied on this, say for maybe six months or maybe five years, I don't know how, what the shelf life is for an OnlyFans um, influencer or whatever they're called. But what is, because this has a larger, it, it, it occurs in different trends, right? For a person who's a YouTube star or a person who's a gaming star, the next big one will come along. And as a result, like just like supermodels, one's displaced by the other, which was, of course, in say earlier days. But whether it's run by men, whether it's run by women, there is a a more long-lasting effect psychologically on the person. And what uh, do you see any of that already manifesting in issues today? Well, I think it's if you if we focus just on our appearance, if we we focus on just that that part. I mean, why can't we be both smart and sexy, first of mm-hmm. all? Like, mm-hmm. right? Like, why can't the two coexist? But the if you're just focusing on what somebody says you look like and not your mind, over time you're gonna lose your looks. Like yeah. you know, we all get old. If we're if we're blessed, we get old, right? Yeah. We don't die young, like we're so we're gonna lose the lackluster of that level of, of attraction. To others, that it, if you're only getting your self confidence from the validation of others, mm-hmm. you, it's going to be problematic. At some point, you're go- going to develop some something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, self confidence comes from within, and uh, love of self. It's all it's all from within rather than just getting it from the outside. Hopefully, mm-hmm. there's a maturity that happens over time. Where yes, attention is great, and I listen. A lot of people love attention. Yeah, clearly, I'm in the public eye all the time. I must love attention too. Like it, I don't good. mind it. You know, yeah, it's okay. It's, yeah, I get to yeah. I get to to disseminate information. I get people to listen, and it's all fine. But I'm aware of of the fact that I'm not a 25 year old uh, sex therapist anymore. I'm a 60 year old one now. Mm. It, I have a different. Maybe I'm taken maybe more seriously as as I get older. Uh, people are maybe listening to my words more than looking at my face. I don't know. I, mm. I, I was never that was never the thing, right? But yet again, we have to learn um, and move away 
from just that physical stuff. And and I and there's a lot to blame with that. When you think of Tinder and you think of like swiping right and swiping, 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 mm. what are you swiping on? Only faces, right? You're just mm. looking at how the way somebody looks. So uh, again, it's all validation. It's all uh, we're in a society of likes and, and swipes and it is harmful. I think psychologically it's harmful because it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure and people get depressed. You know, oh, I only got three likes on this post. Now I'm depressed. So you're basing your your mental wellness on what the outside is doing rather than working from the inside out. So Yeah, it's it, like living your entire life to get the right profile picture for Tinder exactly. or to get that right shot on the beach with the sunset. And then also right. you break your head for the right caption and you do all that because your entire existence or your self-worth is based on that post and next thing three people like it and out of that two comments are like oh you put on weight <laughs> that's it <you're> right. <laughs> well the thing is if that's your if i think we're all guilty of capturing the right picture that we want to post and we, you know most of us who have social media are conscious of this and 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 pay attention to this it's when you tie in all of your self-worth into yeah. that that's problematic and i see this mostly with teenagers, right? The pressure's really on them. Uh, yeah. Teenagers feel it way more. As you get older, you mature and you realize, oh, social media, it's, I don't want to do this anymore. Too much mm. pressure. I'm putting this aside. I, I'm noticing a lot of younger people turning off their social media every once in a while, going on a social media diet where they just end it and then go back on it after a while. So I am seeing that happening because people are recognizing this is not good for my mental health. Yeah. Ultimately. And that's the strange thing, right? I mean, I've been, been off Facebook now for almost two years, maybe, maybe a little more. That's uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm new to this. <laughs> oh my mean, God. I think I've been there 20 years, 15 years. <laughs> no, I've been off Facebook for two years. Oh, for off. Facebook. I thought you went on it. For just, no, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had the account. It kind of happened, uh, you know, unintentionally because I'm, my account got hacked uh, uh-huh. because I was offered something by some Russian guys. Like, I'd love to advertise on your website. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool. I get free money. <laughs> Next thing they hacked my thing. I was greedy. Oh, no. anyway, but it was a good way to me get out of Facebook. And right. anyway, it's been, I think, 21 or 2020, I think. Anyway, the page is active. It's just that, you know, someone else posts for me. But um and that's the thing I wanted to talk to you about, not Facebook accounts getting hacked. But um, the, 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 the interesting thing I, I, I feel when I uh, look at this, this, this entire, you can say almost the entire shift where content is so, and I'm not talking about the, the hardcore internet, of course, that has got a lot of plus and minuses, uh, but things like Tinder, Snapchat, where it's all about just your image and expressing yourself through that particular image. Like, you know, I, I, there is a s- constant need to be on there, the constant need to post. And it's almost like, you know what, it, it, it's not a photo a day. It's like 30 photos. Every photo is of one particular, like lunch, breakfast, between lunch and breakfast, between changing clothes. And so, okay, this I may be digressing a little bit, but when that's the only world you know and when the the the, the coming back to your family or sitting in your room without that seems like very sort of disconnected and a lot of the content is propagating promiscuity and 
saying it's okay and people having sex at much, much more younger ages. And here's the next thing which I That's want to talk about. That's actually not true. People oh, are not, not having sex at younger ages. In oh, fact, good. Okay. I mean, good that you told me that. Okay. Yeah. Research shows that people are having sex much later now. Hmm. Not not earlier, and they're having less sex. So the younger gen, the youngest generation right now are having much less sex than a Very previous generation. And part of it is because exactly what you just said. They're online all the time. Young people uh-huh. do not leave their bedrooms. Young people do not socialize. People, young people are drinking less because they're not uh, socializing as much. And when you take away alcohol, you also reduce sex. Because in in uh, in youth, uh, alcohol consumption and sexuality is connected. So uh, we're so actually a seeing a trend. I, it's a good thing, and it's a good thing. In on the one hand, on the other hand, what I'm noticing is um, young people who are uh, not developing social skills. Mm, you know, mm, the mm, the skills re- required for that. Okay, so a couple of points which I want to talk about is one is there's this huge concern of children, and I could be wrong again, like my previous observation, if I'm wrong, please correct me, that children are being exposed to content which is very sort of sexual and graphic in nature. Like when I say children, I don't mean teenagers, I mean eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, and apparently that's developmentally extremely bad for them. Uh, which it, because it completely affects their way of looking at relationships or men and women and 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 the body and what what not right uh could you comment on that and also um, um uh, what okay let's just talk about that because my next point i think or the next question i have is is more um anyway i'll come to that <laughs> so the, it, of course it's problematic when uh you have uh, kids exposed, especially er, you know, early on to pornography, accidentally, you know, oftentimes they're not even. It's just accidentally on, on their computers or whatever, mm. because you have kids who are online. But it's not just that; it's everywhere. So yeah. you you have more pornography on Facebook than you would have anywhere else, or on Instagram, or on Snapchat, or on TikTok, or it's it's rampant everywhere. You're not going to. We're not going to eliminate that. But what you can do is counter it with education. So mm-hmm. as parents, we have to limit, obviously, as much as possible. Be aware what our children are watching, um, put in controls where necessary, and talk to them about what they're seeing. Get children to become critical thinkers of what they're watching or what they're exposed to and talk to them about healthy sexuality, health, you know, like you have to have these conversations and parents are afraid of talking openly about sexuality, thinking that if I talk about it, somehow it's going to make them do it. That's Mm. not what happens. It's like information is power here and knowing and trying to tell children that this is adult behavior. This is not appropriate for, for, uh, for their eyes. And then as they get older and can become more critical of what they're watching, you have conversations about pornography. You make them porn literate. In other words, like, do you, what do you see here? What's missing here? Is this consent? Is that like, Mm. you have to have conversations about this so that they understand because we're not going to eliminate it from society. It is everywhere. Sex has always been the thing that sells from the big dawn of time. And so we have to make people uh, more aware and counter it with 
sex education. And if you eliminate sex education, then you let you let them learn from one source. And that's not the best source because you don't learn healthy sex through pornography. And why is that? Because, you know, as you said, there are so many more women producers. There's so many, there's so much more content and opportunity to find the right content, but okay. Why in itself? But it's entertainment. Mm. Pornography is entertainment. It's not education. No, I'm not saying from the educating point of view, but why is pornography demonized? uh, And why, a, uh, you know, people who say, you know, I'm addicted to masturbation or people saying, you know, I went off porn. I, I get it. I, I, I get um, the thing. But wh- where did this entire thing of pornography as a, okay, leave it as an education the devil? source. Yeah. I know because, <laughs> the devil? yeah, yeah. Why is it, why is it more and more being demonized and say it's horrible, it's bad for your mental health, et cetera, et cetera. This is yes, it's a good this is a good conversation to have, because if you look at the millions upon millions upon millions of people who watch porn, mm-hmm. all you have to do is look at the numbers from one site, you know, just from Pornhub, for example, when they release their data every year and you see how many millions per day around the world are watching. Those are not all people who have problems with porn. Yeah. You have a small percentage who use porn as their drug of choice, like mm. any other drug, who use it to escape life, who mm. use it as a way to disconnect from stuff. Because like you mentioned earlier, that dopamine rush and, you know, a good orgasm brings feel good things and allows you to escape from whatever stresses you have or boredom or what have you. So you have a small portion of the population I mean, comparatively in numbers may be big, but in percentages small in terms of porn viewers um, who develop issues with porn, like who who do it, who watch compulsively, who masturbate compulsively. But porn is not the causer of that. Mm. Something else is they just use that and it's readily available as their drug of choice. It is not the cause. If that was the cause, there would be far more people who are screwed up and who are, are 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 addicted or whatever than what we're seeing. Most people use porn in a, I don't know, responsible way. I don't know. I don't Rec- even know how to say Rec- it, but recreational but, way. <laughs> recreational way. It's like, oh, I want to. I'm horny. Let me just look at some images that trigger my arousal. Five minutes yeah. later, they're done. They're not and, and watching you say three-hour movies. More- that isn't that better than you know this kind of things you hear horror stories of from teenagers to maybe young adults going and harassing women and in univ on university campuses and school campuses and physically harming women and this aggression of sexual course. aggression. So wouldn't if porn it, serve if a better purpose? Choose one. Well, if it serves that purpose, yes. Except that sexual assault is not about sex; it's about power, right. and right. it's very you know what drives somebody to to rape. It's not a lack of. Uh, just lack of, of, of it's not sexual, uh, sexual material or whatever. Uh-huh. It's not a sexual outlet. It's it's about power and it's far more, uh, you know, dangerous. Uh, far, yeah, 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 far yeah. more dangerous than that. But if it does help in terms of having an outlet uh, instead of harassing somebody, who who would be stupid enough not to choose that? It's like yeah. why would we eliminate that if it helps that? But I just haven't seen any. 
um, yeah, I'd have to look at the at the research. One, the research does not show that people who watch porn are more likely to rape. That's for sure. You do okay. see the opposite happening. So uh, people need to do their research. But the problem is in our society, and a lot of it in Western society. I'm, I'm not sure where you are, but you have a huge, uh, you have a very loud right wing, uh, extreme right, religious right that vilify anything to do with sexuality and especially pornography. And they're very loud, loud voices. So they will cherry pick whatever information to present to say that to prove, so to speak, that it's big and evil and and must be eliminated and what have you. But, you know, pornography in one form or another has been around as long as man has been around. That's the reality. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, you know, when in reference to India, people are like, oh, we were, we were, we are the land of the comes. We are the first, yes. India. But <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that may be, may be the truth, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I haven't read it. I'm not an expert in that particular text. Uh, but even if you'd say thousand years back, you know, because there's so many sort of things that have happened in the Indian landscape, culturally, socially, economically. But definitely, if you look at temples, you look at that architecture, you look at depictions of men and women, and and, and there has been a lot more sexual expression in that time um, yeah. than today, because there is a lot more repression. So to right. what you said about porn not being the cause uh, of, of all these issues, or even the men, men who you know, go and rape. It's not about the sexual expression. It's about the power. These are clearly issues of repression, clearly re- views of, um, uh, the, clearly signs of v- how a man views uh, other men, other women. Uh, so why? Okay, so maybe the question which I should probably rephrase to is, what role has or does sex play in a society? And does it um, necessarily have to be bad or can it be a cohesive force for progress? Why is it bad though? Let's look at, yeah, yeah. you know, what, why is it bad? If you look at sex, sexuality in its, just in the, what is the purpose of sexuality? For, for most of us, it's to connect to other people. Mm-hmm. So we, but we think of sexuality in the, in our times often as just this thing, getting off and having that orgasm and, and whatever. But if you look at people in general, most of us use sexuality to connect to somebody we care about, mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to be intimate with, to feel, uh, just to feel that connection. It's like, it's like our souls meeting. It's it's more than just our bodies joining and it has a deeper meaning for, for many of us. That's the case. I'm not saying that sex in its sex as sport doesn't exist because for many it does. Even those that have loving relationships with one person may use sexuality within that relationship as a sport as well, right? So I'm thinking of pe- people who are swingers, for example. Mm-hmm. They, I've met plenty of people who practice polyamory or open relationships or swinging who are in loving, wonderful primary relationships, but decide together that let's go play and they just play with other bodies. And that's, mm-hmm. and, and it works for them. And, and 
like who who are we to judge what they do? Absolutely, they're doing it yeah. with consenting adults and they're not doing anything illegal. So yeah. there are people who see it that way. So it all depends on how do you uh, how do how do you approach sexuality? What is the meaning of sexuality for you? So mm-hmm. it's not like one definition or one meaning can that what about sexual like when people say the word sex they think of penis inside vagina but mm. that's not that's one aspect of sex so i prefer to talk about sexuality in general because everything we do that feels connected to somebody else in terms of touch and uh is part of sexuality you don't need a penis inside a vagina to create sex so level it's of sexual shame. energy. Yeah. There's a lot of shame around sexuality, yeah. a lot of shame around sexual, a lot of guilt. But historically, that comes from religion. Like that just yeah. comes from upbringing and, and very strict religious upbringing where sex is seen as sinful. Sex is seen as it's only for procreation. We forget that people have sex because it feels good. Yeah, Nobody's and also there's this condemnation even within circles, right? Like if you like something or you enjoy watching something because it gives you a sense of, I don't know what it could be, that there's something wrong with you or there's like what's what's you know, weirdo or it, you're kind of scared to ad- address it. Like even if you're in an intimate relationship with someone, you're scared to ask them whether you want to try this because the conditioning is like, you know what, if you don't, if you don't enjoy it in this particular way, then there's absolutely something you're depraved, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the, it's that fear of if I, if I voice my interest, I'm going to be judged as perverted, depraved, whatever, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. So there's a lot of shame attached to, um, attached to even talking about sexuality. So mm. my, you know, my purpose in, in the last 30 years, and I guess my life's purpose has been to bring out those conversations, talk about topics that nobody wants to openly talk about, but that people are asking questions about. So, you know, when I started in radio 30 years ago or so on in, uh, you know, in, in Montreal, uh, this was not a topic we openly talked about on the airwaves, but I was fortunate enough to be given the microphone to talk about it, never knowing how long was this show going to last because somebody's mm-hmm. going to try to shut it down. And it, and it, I was, we were fortunate because I was, it wasn't taken away. It was, it was celebrate. It was, uh, people wanted the information that yeah. we could tell just by the listenership, right? So people, even though there were some people that were like, Oh my God, this is disgusting. How can you, how can you talk about sexuality? Like I have kids in the car. I mean, it was always a late night show anyway for that reason. But what I noticed was people, I never shied away from the really tough topics, like even talking about anal sex and bisexual, like whatever it was, it was any topic, even though people didn't practice what I was talking about or most people, they wanted to hear about it. And it was, it was a conversation starter, right? I heard this talk or I heard this. And so people start to talk a little bit more about it. And to me, that that's vital. We have to start somewhere and it starts with conversation, like what we're having now, you know? And that's such a sad thing that we can't express or feel safe expressing our most fundamental human need, which of course, you know, you could you could kind of minimize into lust or whatever the the, the religious texts would mm-hmm. call it. Um, but 
beyond that, there's this thing that, you know, I am this person. I, you know, find pleasure in it, but I also would like to share it with another human being. But I'm terrified of doing that because by just expressing that, I might lose my entire connection and be sort of portrayed as this person who's got sick um, mm. preferences. And that's, and if that way is repeated, I'm saying across generations, then you just have this group of people who will say, I did my duty. I have children. So I procreated, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, what's happening in the bedroom. Right. And then next thing you know, they're sitting in wherever, you know, adult men or adult women are sitting and completely repressed. And next thing you have this jokes going, you know, I would do shows for corporates, right? Or I would do shows for more formal get-togethers, whether it was at the golf club or whether it was at a, you know, gala event with senior management, whatever. And they would say, you know, no jokes below the belt. And I'm like, you're all 50 <laughs> plus. Like, what is below the belt, right? Like you right, all right, right. have They won't sex. even say the word. They won't even say the word sex or penis. Oh, no, or no, 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 right. no. <laughs> Not at all. They're like, you know, right. you mustn't. And they have these family days. And of course, I understand the family days because the parents are more shy or scared to talk or hear, you know, a sex joke where the kids are like, you know what, I get it. <laughs> but, That's right. Kids are getting it. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, it's the hypocrisy because these people will literally turn around, come for my public show where they bought tickets and be falling off the chair and they want to hear sex jokes about sex and sex jokes or jokes about sex, right? Dick jokes, whatever it may be. They're loving mm -hmm. it. But the same CEO who's come as the person for my show loves it. But when he's wearing the role of, oh, I'm chairing the panel on this, it's like, you know, I've never, I would never even, I would never right. condone such material, you know? Sure. So, but they're those same guys that are going to whatever. Uh, they probably uh, just had sex with the secretary and, and came uh, for the event, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, it's, it's a very, uh, yes. So what does that create in a society? What are we, what are we saying by this behavior? What? Is it is it just hypocrisy? Is it just this yes. attitude of holier than thou? You know, what yes. I do. Yeah. So, can you talk about <laughs> yes, that? Yes, yes, and yes. Like that. That's the. Uh, that's. It is the hypocrisy, and I can tell you how many times uh, I have, uh, you know, where somebody has come into my office who is very religious, but they have a sex addiction, mm. and they're very religious, but they visit prostitutes. They are yeah. very, you know, so the, the, like how they live with that hypocrisy in, in, the, in, internally, right? It's like, so I go to the, the hooker in the afternoon and I go pray at, at night, right? Mm. And it's like, how do you make sense of those two things in, in your <laughs> head, right? It's like you, you say one thing to the world and do another thing in private. So yeah. if you think about, if you look at statistically, for example, in, in, in the U.S., in states where they are, uh, where they don't do sex education, where they have like abstinence only education, more religious based, you have more people accessing porn, mm. more sexually transmitted infections, more unplanned pregnancies. Uh, so, you know, you're trying to ban porn on the one hand, but in those places that you're trying to ban something, you have more of it. So think yeah. about that, right? Like you're saying that the taboo nature of something makes you want it more uh, and makes you access it, access it more. So if we had more open conversations, I don't know. I, I just think it, it would just, if it was less taboo and it's not about doing it, it's about expressing it. It's about talking about it. It's about saying, Hey, 
your sexual, I'm saying, I have my preference, you have yours, all good. I'm not judging you. Don't judge me. As long as we're doing it legally, safely, uh, you know, and consensually, uh, I'm not going to judge you and you don't judge me. Like to each his own. Like live and yeah. let live. Why are we not, why do are we judging other people who are not hurting other people? Yeah. Right? Like what is it to me if you're gay or you're into feet? Like what do I care? Like, this is how you express your sexuality. I, I may not like it, and it may not be for me, but w- why do I condemn you for your uh, preferences? There's a sense of patronizing someone, right? Like, oh, you know, this person, like, I, I, I just, you know, have normal sexual preferences. And, and there's this thing, right, when someone, like when Tiger Woods had all those affairs, everyone's like, how? But he's such a good golfer. I'm like, man, when he's in that level being exposed to so much attention and there are, I don't know if women are throwing themselves at him, but there's so yes, many opportunities. They are. And maybe, you know, there's so many opportunities. Late night, there's some drinks and everyone's like, my God, you're the best. You're Tiger. I mean, I would, but because I couldn't or because people are like, oh, how dare he's a married man. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> You're never going to be in but that situation. Yeah, but it's a choice, right? It's like it, monogamy is a choice. If, if mm. you know, if he had chosen to stay faithful to his wife and not be maybe an entitled whatever, like I don't know him. I'm not, I don't want to yeah. uh, you know, judge him in that way. What I didn't like was that when, when somebody is doing this, you know, consistently unfaithful and and what have you, and then they say, oh, but I have a problem. I'm a sex addict. Mm. No, you just are entitled and took advantage and of your of your notoriety and had sex because the opportunity was there. Why does that make you a sex addict? Why are you using that as I'm I'm ill because of this? Like I'm, I think yeah, people have used problem. that, yeah, and it's a and it is a problem. And when if you own up to saying you that, know. Yeah. Own it. Just yeah. like, yeah, uh, you know, like a, there's yeah. A, yeah, a lot of entitled people who think they deserve, they deserve, they deserve it. So they. Why not? But if you deserve it and you know, you, you know, you fall prey to that weakness or that temptation, own it, right? Because that would be, uh, you know what? It came with the territory. I enjoyed it. And you know what? I pay, I, I, I will deal with the consequences as opposed to, I have a problem. I have a weakness. I know. I, and, but it also says a lot about the people who comment on that, who, who look at the tabloids going, Oh my God. I thought he was a good man who played good golf. I'm like, golf has nothing to do with it. You know, golf, golf has nothing to do with it. Is he a good man? I don't know if he's a good man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. good men can do bad things, but, but, uh, I also know about men who are, uh, who have a lot of self-importance, who are narcissistic, who are entitled, who uh, who think that they're better than everybody else and, and who go ahead and behave this way because because they can and because yeah. they feel they, they deserve it. So th- those Some of the are most sexually prolific kind of men who are sleeping with multiple women, married women in India right now are these so-called godmen, these so-called yes. spiritual leaders. You've seen, you've heard of them in the news, right? Every yes. time they build up in fame, they build up with all their spiritual, or if you, if you don't use spiritual or religious, whatever the word is, they call them, they preach all these things from all these texts. They're like, yeah, we'll show you the light. And next thing you know, there's some camera footage or they have so many cases of harassment, women stepping forward. All these people who so-called, these cult heads, these cult leaders, yes. it's ridiculous. I mean, and you, as you said, it doesn't talk about sex. It talks about the power game there. The pa- it's all power. And mm. we know this all already the more power you have the more likely you are to cheat there's no that the, there are facts on that one so mm. for sure power breeds this kind of thinking 
Uh, so, but then there's some of these people who have sex and they're open about it and they said, you know, I don't get married because I don't think I can stay faithful. But they, they, they then they demonize. Oh, they, as you said, this. No, I respect whatever. those. Yeah, I because they're some of the kindest people, people who can right? say that. Exactly, the, a, a person who can stand up and say. I cannot be monogamous. I do not choose monogamy. I do not want to be monogamous. I do not want to be with just one partner. Okay, you've said it. You you let your partners know. Your partners are aware. So the expectations are very clear. Um that is your choice and why should I judge your 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 choices? I'm I'm okay with that. Just because I want to be monogamous or I choose monogamy for myself, that doesn't mean you have to choose the same or that my way mm. is the best way. Why is my yeah. way the best way? How do people broach these conversations? Because you've, you obviously uh, feel a lot of these questions and topics on your podcast, it's, which is called the Passion Podcast. If people are listening, they should definitely check it out because, um, you know, Laurie goes into a lot more detail episode by episode. So uh, I'll link it in the description when you guys uh, obviously would have checked it out by Thank now. You. Yeah. Uh, so what what is... It's the best way for someone to even broach because the fear of rejection, the fear of being told, you know what, we need to go see a therapist or you know what, we need to see your lawyer because you, 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 you have some illness when you're expressing these needs, which I can't fulfill. So how does even someone broach this topic with their partner mm. or partners? Mm. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it is. Uh, listen, it's not an easy, easy answer, but uh, thankfully, more and more people are reaching out for help. So I, mm. I do notice that, that thankfully, because of the internet and accessibility and what have you have people who can ask questions, there are people you can go to, to get some answers so that it, it often begins like that with somebody sending a question and I have this situation and how do I, how do I do this and, and be able to assess, okay, does this couple need help? Do they need help communicating? I mean, I help couples oftentimes communicate in general, but oftentimes about sexuality because it's the hardest thing to, to talk about. Mm. Um, but you need to figure out like what are the belief what is what is your partner belief like you don't just you don't just come in and say to a partner you've been with for 10 years by the way i have this fetish where i like to wear a diaper and i'd like to poop in my diaper and i want you to clean it up like mm. you don't you don't just spring that on somebody you 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 yeah. gently bring up the topic of gift. fetishes yeah. like you have to start and say okay like here's here's where i'm at or what do you think about this? And have you ever thought about that? And what do you think of people who do this? And like, if a person starts to like be like, oh my God, I would never, uh, like you have to be careful mm. how you address it, but you may need to go get help to find out how to address it. And then you have to decide how important is this thing for you? So mm. if your fetish is, is, is very important to you, like, for example, uh, I'll meet people who are really into uh, um, power dynamics, right? Bondage, discipline, uh, mm. dominance. And for them, they need this in their life. They need this in their sex life. Mm. Well, those if you know this about yourself, please don't pretend that you are vanilla when you're going out with somebody and then spring it on them, hoping that they will match up with you know it ahead of time talk about it ahead of time say this is what i'm looking for then if a person agrees great if they don't and it's not for them at least let them walk away so is it okay for someone know? to talk about it 
uh, then they both kind of arrive at their own conclusion. Uh, say the person who likes the diaper and pooping in it and getting it clean and the, the wife or the husband, whoever it says, I can't do it. But you know what? I'm absolutely okay with you getting it, doing it somewhere else. Is is that something you've come across where people say, yes. get it, get it somewhere else? Well, uh, an example, you know, the, the diaper and the pooping is a bit of an exaggeration, but No, I read about example, it in a book recently. That's why it, I almost oh, really? Okay. One of the characters likes to dress up, to wear a diaper and get whipped. Oh, that, but there are. There's a whole community of diaper people, diaper people and adult babies and, and all of that. Yes. But, you know, if that's your thing and you want to practice that, you need to find a partner who's willing to do that with you or mm. a partner who says, I, I respect your thing. I don't want to be a part of your thing, but I'm okay if you go to the adult daycare to take care of whatever, like meet up with people as long as you don't do X, Y, Z, you know, like with right. limits. So I, I like I, I've met people, for example, who where the man um, wants to be a submissive and the 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 wife is not interested in being a dominant and mm. or, or gets turned off by that and says, you know what, hire a dominatrix. I'm OK with that. Uh-huh. Like as long as you don't have sex with her, but you practice whatever, I'm OK with that. So sometimes, yes. Off, you know, I can't say that that's the usual thing, but uh, it's very hard to spring it on somebody once you're engaged yeah. in a relationship, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think acknowledging all know- these differences is such a healthy place. Like even with jokes, right? If people are like, you know what? Because right now, it's, it's I almost feel it's silly, right? Like, oh, it's a, it's a gay joke, and everyone giggles, and it's very childish the way we talk about sex on even in entertainment or in sitcoms, or mm-hmm. as you said, like if a CEO is caught having sex, he's fired and he's shamed and publicly humiliated, the scandal. And if we can arrive at a place, as you said, it, where it's discussed in a mature way, if they can't do it, then they go to a place which is safe or which is you know, encouraging for these things where there's a sense of acceptance. Don't you think we can move on as a society to better things? It's going to be a while till we get there. <laughs> yeah, Unfortunately, no. that is the... You heard it first here, though. <laughs> big taboo. You know, it's going to yeah. be... A, I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime, but mm. we are moving towards more openness in some parts of the world. And in other parts of the world, we seem to be moving backwards when you, yeah. when you, when you think of taking away women's right to choose, you know, in, yeah. in States, like that's Abortion. backwards. That's, that's not, that, that, yeah. that's not moving forward. So that so is you in have fact, some I people think... holding back, you know, holding, holding back, wanting to hold us back and going back to those, you know, I guess what they would view as the, those conservative values. Yes. Life might've been a simpler way back then, but you have to take into account the evolution of society and technology and accessibility and like we can't just go back in time you know and i think that's one of the most medieval laws that i mean that not medieval if that's the but the most ridiculous thing that you can take away you know you can say equality woman in the workplace but when you take away a woman has it's her body like it's someone it's like women making laws saying that you know uh, men i'm not we can't, I can't even come to anything close but men cannot ejaculate without our permission like what what kind of laws are these right like with the abortion banning abortion i i'm not pro choice pro life i'm not going to bring that in i can't even go in i i can't yeah. even have that argument because I, there's so many holes in so many arguments like like it's not about, like you said, it's not about being pro-abortion. Yeah. It's about being 
pro-choice for the woman and what's it's her mental health too and her yeah. physical health and there's so many and who's making so these laws it's the old men men all <laughs> yeah. these men yeah i mean see i'm not a progressive liberal i'm not none of these things i don't call myself conservative or any of these labels but mm-hmm. it just seems like you know what i have a daughter now who's only 11 months old but man you got to give them a life that they can find dignity in right nothing else because these things take away dignity it takes away human dignity which is the most backward thing you can do and call yourself yeah. a leader of the free world you know i know uh, listen not leader but <laughs> i know it's yeah. very frustrating to see and uh but anyway well, yeah. one thing i want to ask you i think we we're, we're done here with time but um i it, you know as someone who spent so much uh time understanding human behavior when it comes to sexual preferences sexual acts and talking to people guiding people helping people make sense of what they find and what their preference what gets them on what what and without them feeling ashamed less human about themselves um what is your stand on how uh prostitution in and more importantly legalizing prostitution whether for men or for women uh what role can that play in 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 creating a sense of balance or upheaving the 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 social fabric so what 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 can that do for society it's a big question i mean i think it has its place i think it's always had its place um you know uh, look I, i'm certainly all for decriminalizing uh sex work and and what have you obviously there are extremes right when you start talking about prostitution people start talking about drug traffic about uh, human tra- trafficking yeah. and sex trafficking and obviously nobody could be for that and what have you and that would you know we need to eliminate that and i think part of the problem is if you don't the way that you know one you can look at it is if we don't eliminate prostitution you're you're going to be you're kind of feeding the sex trafficking industry but i also think that if you if you take that away you're creating a whole underground because mm. you're still it's like people are still wanting and still needing and still going to go for it they're just going to have to go elsewhere for it so mm. when it's when something is more readily available and sa- done safely and um where people are protected where sex workers are protected where people who seek out sex work and where everything is done consensually uh it has it can have its place like i don't i don't uh you know it just it breaks my heart when i see a whole underground business that's mm. you know profiting off the backs of these women who are doing it non-consensually um it's i haven't awful, had much yeah. it's 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 horrendous it's beyond yeah. awful uh i have not i don't know much about it in terms of like i just have not been exposed or have not spoken to women who have been trafficked so i you know i don't want to speak on behalf of them but i can i have spoken to many sex workers in my line of work and uh, you know they choose this is what they choose this is what where they want to be this is what they have chosen to do as work and they want to be protected and as they should be they should not have to feel danger that they're put in danger they should not have to feel like um you know they should be protected and safe feel safe 
You know, you mentioned that, and I, obviously I haven't met sex workers or been to these, but like in Calcutta, there's one of the biggest red light districts called Shonagachi. It's a, it's a, it's a the district. And one of the guests I had in the podcast, her name is Rijula Das. She's written a book, uh, I think it's fiction called A Death in Shonagachi. But she was talking about the, the sex workers there. And it's very, it's a very interesting sp- space. I mean, not to make it interesting in the sense like interesting, oh, you know, we should go there for, um, you know, a school trip. But, um, it's no, but as an adult trip, you can. Yeah. yeah, no, but not even the sex aspect. Like it's these women who are uh, sex workers, but because it's such a an old and this 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 huge district, it's basically the women don't just go there to have sex; they live there. So then they have to get their groceries, they have to cook, they also mm-hmm. have side businesses. There's some person who imports like uh, food from Southeast Asia. They, they raise their children in that environment. So I think you might uh, love that book. Uh, I don't know what it's called on the Amazon store in the US, but I can send you the link. But yeah, in please. Southeast Asia, it's called A Death in Shonagachi. But it was a very vivid description of that that district. And I found it very, very revealing. So just thought I'd bring that to your attention. Yeah, well, when you go and you visit places like Amsterdam and the red light district where it's very it's controlled, like it's, mm. uh, you know, it's clean, controlled, it has its rules, it has its, yeah, uh, and nobody bats an eye. It's like, even okay. Thailand, you know, it's not a district. And Thailand, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because you go there and if you go there with your family, you're like, mm, you know, the hypocrisy right. is like, look at these people, how dare they? But you go alone and that's this wink, wink, nudge, nudge with Indian as well in India, right? Oh, like, oh, so, you went to Bangkok. Oh, man, you know, but. And I did. And I, and I, I you know, I did travel to Thailand and I was, great I place. did. I, I went to sex shows and I did yeah. go to uh, uh, visiting these areas, which is done very openly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it's, it's mainly done by women. I mean, the women are the ones you talk to in the sense you don't have, you know, it's not shady. It's not like, oh my God, I'm doing right. something. And I think, you know, the fact that you can go for a meal with your family to a restaurant and then you step out and there's this thing, it kind of makes you face your the, the idea of shame, you know, which I think is yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, there's lots to talk about. There's and lots I think I'm going to definitely have you back on when sure. uh, you are free next. But before that, if you could tell people listening right now where they can find your book and also how they can subscribe to your podcast and maybe reach out to you if they have questions of their personal, um, I wouldn't say sure. issues, but their personal experiences and how they're dealing with it. Yeah, issues drop- too. And, and we do feature on on the podcast. The podcast mm-hmm. is Passion with Dr. Lori. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we do feature questions. So listener questions that uh, we keep anonymous, obviously, but I do answer questions at the beginning of every podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. So please, you can send them. And is the podcast everywhere or is it on just your website? Everywhere. So it's, it's absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, on all the podcast platforms. And Lovely. if people want to join me on Instagram, just uh, look for Passion with Dr. Lori and John. And uh, yes, like us, follow us. You'll get information. I, you know, provide some other uh, content and videos and and things like that. So I hope um, a lot of people who are listening right now, you know, don't hesitate to come forward and ask you questions because I think it's healthy. Makes for more mature, more mm-hmm. balanced conversation without all these kind of under the table kicking the like, oh, you know, <laughs> and it makes, yeah. makes my corporate shows more fun when you say don't do jokes under the belt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if people want to see, like I've done a couple of TED Talks as well. So if you just Google my name and uh, in the TED uh, in the TED area, then you'll see a, a couple of my TED Talks on female sexuality and uh, long-term relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And my book, The Sex Bible for People Over 50 is available on Amazon and uh, and on my website, which is drlaurie.com. 
Brilliant. I'll link the website. I'll link the book. I'll link the podcast. Thank you and, so uh, much. Dr. Laurie Batrito, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your vast um, <laughs> uh, experience and um, knowledge and expertise with uh, everyone listening and me today. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.